0: Hello, hello. Welcome back to Big Fat Five, a podcast financially supported by Big Fat Snare Drum and a proud member of the Drum Click Podcast Network. I'm your host, Ben Hilzinger, and this week's guest is Joe Plummer. Joe has played drums for Modest Mouse, Cold War Kids, The Shins, and many more, in addition to releasing his own album, Hugh Time, with Dale Crover and Cody Willis. Basically, he's a really cool guy. He's the epitome of a working drummer, and I love the personality he brings to any band he signs on with. He's also the host of his own podcast called Tour Stories, which we discuss towards the end of this episode. But please enjoy my conversation with Joe about the main influences that shaped him into the very sought-after drummer he is today. Cheers. Oh, and happy holidays. So I know you played in the band Bare Minimum. And yeah,
1: how'd you know that?
0: Is it true? Ugh, research, man, I'm a creeper. But uh, is it true that you went on one of the, the, the Foo Fighters' first tours?
1: We did, yeah, we opened for them.
0: How was that working with, obviously, William, who's amazing, yeah. and then, of course, Dave, just... I mean, playing with two of the best drummers to do it, how intimidating no, was it that? Was,
1: <laughs> it was great. I mean, at that point, William had been a big cheerleader of Bare Minimum, and... I mean, William and all of the bare minimum guys, I think, every single day for three years spent all of those days together. So we mm. were pretty close friends. And um, and then, of course, me and William were, were super drummer friends. And, you know, we were, I was around, well, William and I were friends, or pre-Foo Fighters during Sunny Day and the whole transition and stuff. And um, it was... I mean, it was so fucking exciting. And also Dave kind of crept into our friendship circle as well. And it's just like... To to a point where you forget he's Dave Grohl, Mm -hmm. you know. And and he also is, I think, a fantastic human being in my experience with him over the the last 25 years. And um, so that first tour was incredible there was also um adam shudder to think was in the in the middle slot so it was kind of fucked up seeing all those insane drummers every (laughs) night (laughs) uh i heard the very first note of the very first show with them in denver colorado it was just one of these you know big cymbal smashes and broke my kick drum pedal (laughs) dave's guitar tech at the time came running out and fixed my pedal before i even knew what was happening so.
0: Yeah, that sounds like something that would happen to me. Yeah. Um, so you were still living up in Seattle at that point, and then you moved yeah. down to L.A., and uh, I want to play a song. I think this is, I, I've messed up with so many drummers, Mark Giuliana including, I played a song that wasn't him, but I'm pretty sure this is you. Mm-hmm. And I'll just play it, and then you can maybe talk about the experience of uh, finally making money in music, felt like. Mm-hmm.
1: sounded like the Replicants.
0: Yes, it was. It was Sicilian Defense by Replicant's second album.
1: Yes. One of my favorite recording experiences of all time. Probably my favorite recording experience. Um, that was me and Brant Sandino and Justin Trosper making a record. That was... I did live in L.A. and Seattle around... I was moving back and forth at that time. Um, I remember... The first New Year's I was in L.A. was, I think, the first show that we played in Seattle. But that was me and Brant and Justin. We made that record probably over the course of three months. Uh, I was driving back and forth to Olympia, and Justin was just getting command on the uh, studio down there, Unwound Studio. And we were all just learning everything and writing songs at the same time. And we were so... We were so aligned with our musical interests at the time. It was, uh, it you know, it was just one of those fucking things that just flowed. Yeah. And it was just fun, and it, there was never any self consciousness about anything, and um, it, it was just incredible.
0: Yeah. The older you get, the the it's it's hard to find people that are on the same page. It's uh, financially, t- schedule wise, creatively. That's a you look yeah. back on those, and it's like Jesus. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, so let's just get into your top 15, I would assume. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, or we can keep it to five. I just couldn't decide. Dude, I'm with you. But uh, the first one is a specific groove that completely changed the way you think about drums. And you said it was Glenn Cochi from the song I'm Trying to Break Your Heart by, of course, Wilco off Yankee Mm -hmm. Hotel Foxtrot. So do you want me to just play a little bit of it, and then we can talk about it afterwards? Or do you want to go the other way around? No, let's hear a little bit.
1: fuck does that (laughs) (laughs) who decides to do that and then it becomes the groove of the song and it's a fill
0: yeah i mean the the engineer's like hey uh glenn so are you ready to record now no that's that's the part i want (laughs) to (laughs) play
1: yeah um the first time i heard that i i mean just as i just experienced it it makes me laugh it's i mean when you first hear it it sounds ridiculous If you're a drummer and you hear it twice, you're like, whoa, Mm. that's fucking genius. And, you know, he's playing over the bar at the end of it. It's a fill and it ends up being the groove. And then he then he one of the greatest things about that groove is he does play it straight or, or I'm sorry, he plays a straight rhythm in the song, but you still have that groove over your. In your head, over his just straight part, Mm -hmm. and it is, it. You know, I've never, I had never thought of that. When was that? Um, I don't know how long ago that was in my life. I believe
0: that was 2002 is when it came out, but I don't know when you heard it for the first time. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I mean that was when I definitely had heard it for the first time, and it just, I just never thought about playing drums that way. Mm -hmm. It's a drum fill. it's a groove and and somehow it sticks in your head it's like a hook it's crazy
0: and the first time you hear it you have no idea where the one is like that little that little clicky or kind of tap thing like is the downbeat is the upbeat and then honestly as of right now i still don't necessarily know um but i glenn knows and that's okay with me so i
1: just watched him play it two months ago
0: do you do you follow him on instagram
1: yes yeah, it's insane. I mean, if you're
0: ever not inspired, just go on his Instagram, and it's just like little pockets of, kind of what you're talking about right now. Like, what is that? Um, yeah. And uh, yeah, you can take five seconds of that and go to town. Yeah. So next one, your favorite Phil choice moment from a certain record, and again, I'll preface this like I always do. I guarantee, if I were to have, con- if I would have contacted you a week from now your choices would probably be different. Mine would. Yes. I mean, I've done yeah. my version of this podcast three or four times, and it's always different. But uh, the first one, Joe Morello, the Take 5 solo. And I'm trying to think, I don't know if I got the right one, because obviously on Spotify, which is unfortunately the monster that is Spotify, it's where I play most of these things. And yeah. is it the Dave Brubeck uh, yeah. band that he's in? Okay,
1: cool, cool. Yeah, and it is his the original recording of his... I mean it's a fill but it's the solo that that particular thing will probably come up a lot in this conversation and I yeah is it the one at the beginning where he's
0: just playing by himself or is it towards it's the actual solo it kind of solo okay
1: Is you know again it's it's kind of like a long stretched out fill, but I can just hear all the fills in it, and it's interesting because it is also just single you know largely single notes. Towards the end, he he gets he, he does other stuff, but in my head, I I just think of it as this fill behind the you know this two minute fill behind a piano and five. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah, and I'm not. I'm not much of a fill guy in the sense I like them. I just don't think about them that much. and But I think of things that function as fills. And initially when I was thinking about this, I was thinking about the intro to a Black Flag song called Nothing Left Inside. All right, let me see if I can find that. It may be a tape manipulation or it may be a drum fill. or
0: There we go. Let me just play that real quick.
1: Yep. Yeah. <laughs> that's so awesome. You know what I mean? <laughs> so even that, um, if let's say that's a drum intro... Let's say, uh, by definition, that is just a drumbeat intro, but there is a fill that goes into the song, obviously, and it is a retardando triplet, and it also sounds like the tape fucking slows down, and I don't think that's that. I think Greg Ginn is going, plugging in his guitar or something. It's really weird. That is one of my favorite fills of all time. I actually want to hear that one more time. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Try to catch up with how many times I've listened. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Isn't that gorgeous? That's beautiful, yeah. It's it's great. I want Kendrick Lamar to hear that. (laughs) It's one of my favorite records, but that... In particular, that intro is is crazy, and you can hear his black dot drum heads and everything
0: yep. <laughs> uh and you also said Janet Weiss of Slater Kenny.
1: you said just her her fills in general was there a was there a her particular fill, song um I can't think of any. I spent a lot of time drum tacking for Slater Kenny and some time oh, okay. uh drum tacking for quasi so I've seen Janet um I've seen Janet play a lot of drums. We were roommates for a little while. And um <laughs> and the thing uh, that is always stuck with me and it about her fills is she likes drum fills if I may speak for her and cel- really celebrates them and kind of doesn't give a fuck and always lands on her feet. You know, I not that it's like Untechnical or super technical—it's just they're wild and they're super fun, and it's basically like drumming should be fun, drum fills should be fun, drum fills should be exciting. Fucking just do it, and she does it in such a way that is always so—it's just impressive. And and it's if, anytime I try to like you know steal that vibe or something and. I'll either try to tighten it up or I'll blow it. Yep. <laughs> I mean, not 100% of the time, but that's the special thing about, I think, her idea of drum fills. That's always stuck with me and, and influenced me in one way or another. Did you tack
0: just in between touring jobs or is that before really getting going? With...
1: Yeah, this was um, in 2000 and I was just starting to play with, um, with Black Heart Procession and touring a lot, but... When I was home and had time, you know, uh, I would go out with them. Mm-hmm. And then sometimes, I think a couple times, like the Replicants open for Quasi. A mm. couple different varieties of uh, nerding out yeah. uh, on drums with Janet.
0: Yeah, I've never toured as a drum tech, but it's it's never something I think about when I have time between tours. Uh, but it would be fun.
1: It was fun. I've, I did that a little bit for her. I we used to go to the Crystal Ballroom. When uh, when I lived in Portland, when I was called upon, and I'm I'm not a technical tech, but I can help people out. Mm-hmm. And um, the only other drum tech job I ever had was drum tucking for William and Dave Girl at the same time at Madison Square Garden. <laughs> that was it. That, I mean, that's that's an okay name drop, I guess. Yeah, they were opening. They were in David Bowie's band, and I was sitting in between them, waiting for the drums to fall over. Can we just say, I do want to
0: water that. What was what was that? Describe <laughs> well, that scene.
1: It was um this is, again was early on Foo Fighters. I don't know if this they had just been touring a ton. It was winter and we had been touring with them opening so we we're all pals and then I think it was winter time and it was David Bowie's birthday party. His 50th birthday party which he decided to throw at Madison Square Garden and he invited the Foo Fighters and the Cure and Lou Reed and all these prints, all these people to play with them and play these songs. So that was the idea. And I was hanging around at where the Foo Fighters practiced. And Dave, not William, asked me, he's like, hey, dude, check this out. Fucking David Bowie asked us to play for him. And, and he's like, do you want a drum tech for William? And it was just like casual, you know. And I was like, fuck yeah and then next thing you know like the food fighters management's calling me and they're like what where, where do you and i don't yeah i mean i hadn't really been in the serious rock rock and roll world at that point um and they're like booking me flights and and that was kind of it and i didn't know anything me and william flew over on the same flight got to manhattan partied had fun ate pizza stayed up all night actually stayed up all night and then at seven in the morning i got a phone call william had never told me about this i dave didn't tell me about it but he probably just didn't think about it at 7 a.m i was probably just going to sleep my phone rings and the guitarist for sonic youth sonic youth was another band that was opening the guitar tech for sonic youth calls me and is like hey is this joe Plummer?" and i was like yeah and he's like hey we're all waiting for you in the lobby and i was like or what? And he's like, rehearsal. <laughs> I was like, what do you mean rehearsal? And he's like, we got to go to Connecticut to rehearse. And I, didn't, I still didn't know what was going on. <laughs> I thought it might have been Foo Fighters management. or something. I just didn't. I was in a fog. I yeah. run downstairs, and all the techs are waiting in the lobby. And we had a rehearsal that day with all of the bands in some big theater in Connecticut before the show at Madison Square Garden. So I show up there. I, I still don't know anything. Like, where are the drums? And it takes hours. And finally, actually, a couple of the Sonic Youth people help me out. And I set up a drum set. And then someone from David Bowie's camp comes up to me and is like, We're going to ask Dave to play drums too. So can you set up a drum set for him and order one? And I was like, I don't even know. I don't even have a phone, you know, like (laughs) anyways, eventually that got taken care of and they rehearsed. And then uh, I met David Bowie. He thought it was William that afternoon, which was fun for 30 (laughs) seconds. And then I was like, you want to talk to this guy, not me. And then, um, and then we did the, the show the next night and taped Dave's drums down. They were still falling over and, a lot of funny details a lot of things ensued but uh, I made it through tacking for those and also David Bowie's drummer was playing too
0: well that's a great story so you finally got some yeah. sleep but i mean so when you went you went down to the the lobby that was you're still running on empty at that point totally <laughs> great just like
1: yeah just don't i don't know what's going on <laughs> i don't know what's going on
0: even if I had full, full sleep, I would not know what's going on with that much pressure, but hey, y'all, I wanted to, <laughs> I can't say I wanted to talk to you about a drum I've recently received from Preston at Vessel Drum Co. It's an ocean patinaed 14 by five and a half snare drum, and it's incredible. It's got a 1.5 millimeter shell, brass shell, with 10 lugs, chrome over brass, triple flange hoops, a trick uh, three position strainer, 42 strand wires. It's lovely, it's loud and it cuts and records as beautiful as a piece of butter cake. And, and Preston actually, this is why it's called the ocean patina, is he covers the shell with seaweed and then drops it in the ocean for a certain period of time. And then it patinas with all these crazy cool designs. And if you all remember, Preston was actually one of the first guests on the podcast. When I first started out, I didn't really know what the Big Fat Five format was gonna be or if it was gonna be even Big Fat Five at all. but I went to his garage, his his you know where he makes all of his drums. It was really cool. He walked me through. The episode is essentially from start to finish what happens with a drum and it was it was a really fun episode. It's now archived at bigfatcentrum.com just because it doesn't fit the format of Big Fat Five. I want you to get back to the show, but go check it out. This drum is beautiful. And he actually let me use it on an Eve 6 tour and I didn't keep it. And I regretted it ever since then just because I was trying to pinch pennies at the time. And I just kept thinking about it. And so the opportunity to get it again was presented and it is one of my favorite drums. So the Ocean Patinaed 14 by 5.5 snare drum. Check it out. Reach out to me. Go to Vessel Drum Co., the Instagrams just at Vessel Drum Co. and check it out. It's amazing. It's beautiful. Sounds great. Bye. Yeah. Um, all right. So next one, a performance which you either played or witnessed. You witnessed this one that altered your musical course. And yes. this was Mark Juliana at Revival Drums' anniversary show. And I believe another fellow friend of the podcast, maybe a friend of yours, Tim Tim Baltus. Uh, if it's the same performance, also performed that that show.
1: Yes. Um, and, yes, that uh, that was the show. I, I had never seen Mark or heard him play. And um, I think that evening, Jose was like, oh, dude, Mark's playing. And I was like, cool. And I remember seeing Mark wandering around with a satin baseball jacket. And I was like, eh, that guy yep. looks cool. And I was on stage right, and I was pretty close to him, and he just started playing. And I was like, what the fuck is happening? How much space can one give me and still just blow my mind at the same time? You know, mm-hmm. and I, because I was physically so close to him, I, I just kept imagining I could s- feel him thinking or f- about what he was doing. Not that it was like super cerebral or anything, but it was, I just felt like I was just sitting next to him and... I, I, the w- large, the biggest thing that I remember that from is not as much as what he was playing, but what he wasn't playing. I know that's a little cliche, but um, that's what I took away from it. And I, I mean, it was like weeks. I couldn't stop talking about it. I, mm-hmm. The guy blew my fucking mind. I took a lesson from him last year. How was that? It was incredible. I got. All, I'm as good as him now. <laughs> yeah, he showed me everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like a green pill, a red pill. He <laughs> you saw your soul and the one other thing I can't remember. But yeah, I'm just like him now.
0: What I love about Mark is he's also been on the show, and his influences are almost nothing like he plays. And it's so inspiring because I feel that I grew up. I I wouldn't say if I talked to my younger self I'd be like you have great taste in music but it's still a part of my playing now but knowing that you can still respect all those influences but play nothing like that as an adult drummer um, gives me a lot of uh, it takes a lot of takes away a lot of insecurity I have about my instincts Um, so Mark's a kind of a shining light of yeah, you can still do your own thing, but love Matt Cameron, but play like he does. You know, yeah. meaning play like Mark, but have all these huge rock drummer influences. Um, and not, I don't mean anything bad against Matt Cameron. I wasn't putting him in the category of bad taste. He's an incredible yeah, yeah. drummer. Just different than what you would assume Mark Juliana plays, um, is right. what I meant. But yeah, Mark's, Mark's he's, he's the dude.
1: He's, yeah, he's my favorite living drummer.
0: So if I could, and I know you paid money and the people that are listening did not, but what was the biggest takeaway of the lesson you had from him when it comes to your drumming?
1: Um, When it comes to my drumming? Yeah. This class was um, an improvisation class. Mm. And a few of the simple... um, This is funny because it's not improv at all. But a few of the exercises he suggested... Uh, which will uh, like single note, simple exercises. I, ha- I don't have them in front of me right now, mm-hmm. but um, what one thing I took away from that and I, I do them. I mean, this fucking pandemic has kind of fucked everything up, but I was <laughs> doing them before the show, you know, um, they're these simple exercises that are pretty heady, you know, like more than playing and using your brain and trying not to use your brain. And those are, I just saw the light in the from how simplicity expands into improvisation and you know how it gives you your you're playing there's a pulse for example but it's something simple enough to where you can both think and play at the same time and I thought that those exercises went did a really good job at, at that for me you know mm-hmm. because I love improvising and I love improvising with my bands and I think I'm okay you know, I'm, rather than I'm good or bad at it, I'm pretty comfortable doing it, and I like wheels falling off, and, you know, that's, in the context of 4-4 four, four rock music I typically play, mm-hmm. that's what people that are scared to improvise call <laughs> uh, disasters, as the wheels falling off, and I'm always like, nah, you just, yeah. they didn't fall off, they just, well, maybe they fell off, but you can put them back on.
0: Yeah, yeah, or um, just repeat it the next bar, and then it's not yeah, a mistake, it's yeah. good.
1: So. That's the biggest thing I took away which uh was it just kind of armed me with another uh, another tool to give me confidence when I'm playing and improvising to just kind of like you know there's another synoptic connection with that where I'm like oh no now I can kind of think about playing and still play and not think about playing and mm-hmm. you know, that's confusing but
0: No I know what oop. you mean. Yeah. Yeah, Mark. It was a. Uh, it's somewhere on YouTube. He was talking about, um, and I'm going to butcher this. So, Mark, I apologize. But he basically was like, "Don't practice everything. Just get to the point where whatever you want to say, you can execute that. If there's something you want to say and you can't do that, then focus on that. But yeah, it, it's it. It really helps you pinpoint down what to practice. And yeah, a lot of his stuff, like the that seven. I don't know the name of it, but it's like the hi-hat and the snare, the snare and the bass drum, all three together, just the hi-hat, just the snare, just the bass. There's like seven things. And yeah. with with the band I'm with, Cannons, I don't have a rack tom. It's like crash ride, kick snare, hat, floor tom. And so I don't have that many surfaces, but just thinking and channeling, Mark, of how many different sounds you can actually get. Oh, and then cross-stick. I mean, there's so many different sure. things you can get from yeah. the snare. Very elementary concepts that, yeah, you can just switch around the subdivisions and then that's a whole lifetime of stuff you can work on.
1: Yeah. And I guess that, that reminds me, I, and I think I've, I unconsciously did this, but I do it consciously now is speaking of that um, sort of sound combination. I, I like, a, um, I like to play with a click. I like to play with kind of a tripped out, reverbed out click. I, mm. And I'm talking about just playing with by myself. Um, I, I, live with a band is fine too but if I just have a pulse going it can be a click it can be a keyboard loop or something you know I can you can I'll sit at my snare drum and hit 90,000 different ways and maybe even have it cranked up loud and, and then you start hearing the blend of it and the next thing you know you're just playing Yep. without thinking about it
0: so you literally put just like verb on a click track and just have it oh, be yeah. this kind of ambient thing
1: I really do that's yeah. awesome That's fun
0: all right, so, and this is the one that I know will change for a lot of people. Maybe it won't for you, but your favorite drummer and how their overall body work affected you.
1: Uh, current favorite drummer is Tony Allen. Mm. I think as much as, as Juliana, is, that Tony Allen has given me uh, a, a license to just be free and go. In a, there's something about momentum with Tony Allen, and you know, I think it's his origin... Of drumming, which is Nigerian, but probably a lot of English, you know, influences, English mm-hmm. rock and stuff. But, um, there's just something about a rolling momentum that he has that when he gets, you know, when he's playing on an Auburn record or something, sometimes his drum, his rolling beat gets cut and you can still, it doesn't even need to be there. It just gets dropped back in the thing that, has in the last it's probably 10 years or so that I've been really into him. is you want something to be like a hook and significant and and kind of a groove that sticks in people's brain or butts if you want them to dance. Yeah. And um, that coupled with his sound, and I think his sound is he probably, not everyone does this, not every drummer does this, but I feel like if he sat down at my drum set, my drums would sound like any Tony Allen drums i think the way he maybe even does a cross stick and mutes it with his hand <clears throat> i think it's just his sound it's it's a manipulation of of the reverbs that come out of drums that he, i don't know how the fuck he does it you know so you know and just it's the whole all of what i just said is kind of it It's just my kind of vibe. It's just my drumming. It's what something I listen to probably every day, you know, some version of him, even if it's remixes. So, yeah, I just can't stop with them
0: for sure. Tony Allen. All right, a record that hit you at the right time in your life and represents a big piece of your
1: artistry. Um well, a lot, but I can there's one that that goes back to my youth, which I was listening to. The, punk music, and starting to play drums all around the same time. And, uh, again, it was punk, punk music, like aggressive, fast punk music, GBH, the Subhumans, you know, other American hardcore and stuff. And then I found the Minutemen, which was on a punk label, obviously, same as Black Flag, SST. And um, it just... I. I was also trying to play the, play with these punk records, and I was doing fine. I wouldn't say I was bored, but I just it seemed like there And I'm not. I wasn't a mature young man or anything, and could see the future. But I was like, it seems like there's a ceiling on this. Um, and then I heard the Minutemen and Double Nickels on a Dime, and George Hurley, and it had the punk energy. It was fast, um, but it was funky and. It was anything, really. I mean, mm-hmm. there was songs he plays with his hands. There's some conga songs. There's uh, lots of side stick stuff, a lot of funk stuff. And that hit me in a way that it just opened up my world to probably every other kind of music that I was not listening to at that point. I was just punk guy.
0: And they were prolific during that record. There is a lot of tracks on
1: that record. Yes,
0: um, so I have it pulled up right million. now Is there is there any particular song? Or I can just arbitrarily pick one
1: Pick one, I bet it starts with a cool drum part
0: <laughs> Alright, What? let's go Let's go Toadies That sounds fun
1: That one's fun Alright, here we go What's that? Number seven <laughs> On a triple list
0: I do that all the time. The every like every fourth snare hit, just do the four yeah. tom with it. Just to, yeah, well, all
1: right. yeah. And that, that right there. I mean, again, you could play any song. I can talk about that right there. I did not think that you could leave a kick drum out of a song. And how fucking powerful is that?
0: I didn't even notice there was no kick drum. That's amazing. There's no
1: kick drum. I mean, there is, but it's he starts and he's just, there's no uh, two and four kick until it it needs it. And Mm -hmm. he puts in the two, I think. It's just, I'm 12 years old and I'm like playing that beat with kicks now, you know, just two and four. And then I do it without it. And I'm like, whoa, this is magic. George Hurley.
0: Alright, so let's just go on. You did you did mention Love Supreme, but for the mm-hmm. sake of time, um, <laughs> let's just move on to the sound of a particular record. Nothing against Love Supreme, but the sound of a particular record that helped to mold your tuning style. So I do want to kind of focus on this because you you play with a lot of bands um, and I, you don't have a sound. What I like about your playing is you definitely you have fun with recording techniques and, and different drum sounds, which is rad. So I know that there's not, this is my sound, the one record. So you gave me a bunch of options, which is understandable. So let's just go to the first one, which is Public... Is it Public Image Limited? Is yeah, how you pronounce Public it? Image Limited. Yeah. Okay. The album's Flower, Flowers of Romance, and the song is Four Enclosed Walls, and it's Martin Atkins on the drums. And I actually had not heard of his name till you sent me this, so I went kind of down a rabbit hole... Yeah, I don't. I don't know why I haven't heard this guy's name. He's played with the best, out, you know, out there. So yeah,
1: yeah. Um, that four enclosed walls sound. I have. I'm. St- you know. I still. I. I play that at soundcheck every. Every time I play that. Always got to have us. Yep. Uh, and it always sounds best in a big room. But there's something about the reverb they found or is in that room when they recorded it. I've always wanted two i've attempted to get it i think the replicants tried to do it probably black art procession but yeah i chase that i chase and, and it, it's kind of simple but there's something about it i think there's close miking and because he does some crazy triplets and it sounds like you can hear his head and the room at the same time and it's a weird mix mm. i i've chased that on and off for years now
0: <laughs> well, well here it is for closed walls yeah Like, what is that sound that's going on right now? I don't know.
1: Gate, also. Yep. (laughs) Lots of gate. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Talk about space. I mean, that's the kind of beat. That's why we all become drummers, is to play that kind of beat in a song. Yeah,
1: yeah. And uh, as I I realized and forgot about it, it's the fucking gate. And I remember not knowing what gate was. Maybe when I first heard, it. I mean, I knew what it, maybe knew what it was, but I didn't know how it functioned, mm-hmm. you know, and the reverse effect of it and gated reverb, etc. But yeah, I I didn't. I guess part of the reason I love that so much is I didn't really understand it when I first heard it.
0: Well, you can tell he's playing that. That's a take because there's parts where the bass drum—it's it, there's there's fluctuations. There's some humanity behind that beat, but it's also so robotic in the way he's executing it. But you can tell it's not a loop. Yeah, um, and it sounds amazing. Yeah, I need to go down a rabbit hole of his playing. I'm excited that you even brought this guy up, and I'm embarrassed that I didn't didn't know him before. <laughs> I, I probably know his drumming, of course, but I didn't know his name, Martin Atkins. Yep. Alright, so next one, uh, Legend and I believe you've actually worked with him in the past, but Dale Crover from yes. the album Houdini by, by Melvin, so let's just go ahead and play that Okay Or I guess, which song from? Uh, I didn't think about a song um, No worries mm,
1: Yep, pick one <laughs> <laughs>
0: Just going off the fun name, Sky Pup Sounds fun There we go I mean that right there. (laughs) That's cool, just going back from the snare to, I'm assuming, the hi-hat he's hitting it or some sort of metallic thing.
1: Yeah, that is a ribbon crasher. I don't know if they're still called that, but that is the mysterious sound when they... I I had never heard that before either. I was always like, what the fuck is that sound? Now I have like 10 (laughs) ribbon crashers. Um, I think I recorded in that studio to try to uh, get that sound. Again, it it was a room sound... I, I was a little naive when I when I was chasing that sound because what Dale comes from Dale's hands that go to the drums is not achievable for anyone. It's only Dale's the only one that can do it. And mm-hmm. but you know like that that kind of small he, on that record there's some huge gigantic deep snare sounds, but that one is like a kind of a '60s sound. He probably is using some rap sticks or something. I feel like and um i I guess the versatility on that record uh, of sound is maybe something that i'm realizing is maybe more influential because there are some really big cool sounding drum stuff on on that record and um i I mean bare minimum i think we just only listened to houdini for one tour that was it just houdini over and over again
0: and what was it like working with them and what in what context did you work with them
1: well, we became friends. I don't know how we became friends, but or I can't remember how we became friends, but I think it was The Replicants. And I had wanted to make this drum record based off a Max Roach record called M-Boom, B O O M. And so I wrote uh, 80% of the songs covering M-Boom. Mm. So I recorded drums. I can't approach jazz or max roach's drumming ability uh style anything like that but it was fun just like playing along with it and then recording it and i was like whoa this is cool so i kind of wrote all these pieces and then asked dale and cody willis who was in the melvins at the time to plan a couple songs at first was my idea and then um we just made a drum record together called Hugh time and working with them on that was, it was amazing. It, I just went down to LA. I had these pieces. I played them for them. Toshi kind of played some of it back and then we played with it. And then between the three of us, we just kind of took over. Kyle crane plays on the record too. Um, working with him is, I mean, I wish I could do it more. I have always wanted to be in Dale's band, but, um, I can't imagine what it's like for Buzz over the last 25 years because playing with Dale, it's so satisfying. Whatever whatever the playback is from Dale, whether it's playback or you're just playing in the room, is always like, wow, that's cool. And he'll be like, do you like it? Sure. I could do this. Oh, man, that's cool, too. <laughs> Damn it, that's cool, too. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I it was a, a bit of a dream come true making that record with him and Cody, so um, I'm kind of hoping we can do it again.
0: I'll will it into existence for you. It's going to happen. Thank you. Yeah, no problem, dude. Great. So uh, Hugo Burnham, which to bring up the trap set was the last episode Joe recorded, which I hope I'm not sure mm. why Joe stopped, but I hope he continues because I love Joe's podcast. But uh, Joe yeah, might come to my house today. We'll tell him he needs to get his microphone back in front of his face. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, so it's Solid Gold by Gang of 4 and of yes. course it's Hugo Burnham on drums. Record came out in 1981. Um I love Hugo's playing, but uh yeah, what about this record? Got
1: to. Well, I mean, yeah, I, I another record that is influenced the way influenced my playing as much as the sound I was probably chasing for the mid 2000s. Um that disco again gated reverb punk disco sound which I still love every time i hear it um even if it's someone like lc you know lcd doing it or gang of four and Mm -hmm. everything in between again the sound is largely the it's the kick the snare and the hat and that's all you need right Mm -hmm. and um i I just feel like a sound without those being um individually miked i feel like just get like one mic over the top of those three instruments Tuned correctly uh, is one of the best sounds ever, and you can squash it. You can, and you sometimes don't need it. And it's key if you got the low frequency out of the bass drum, and and I have mixed drums before. I have a bunch of mics, but then I concentrate on one mic or overdub one mic of playing the same beat. Mm -hmm. And it's it's always been that punk or disco kind of gang of four beat but then you just do an overdub of it and smash it and it just makes it like so aggressive and fucking dancey and um, uh, amazing. So I don't, I can't imagine that's what they did. I have no idea what they did to make uh, Solid Gold and a couple of their other records, but it's just, again, another irresistible sound that I have. And then the playing, I just ripped it off. I just ripped it off so hard and did a lot of that when I was in Modest Mouse. (laughs) me and jeremiah both so fun so fucking fun
0: uh do you want me to just arbitrarily pick one or do you have a one in mind that's uh uh
1: yeah i can't remember yeah pick one please
0: all right i'm gonna go with the album starter i'll go uh paralyzed which is uh, fun for a lot of reasons actually yeah Elementary beats if you were to break it down, but also one of the most badass things you could play because you don't know where yeah. the one is at first. We actually have a segment of the show or this podcast that we do every once in a while um, called Where's the One? And that oh, song really? would be one of them where it's like until yeah. you really get into it and the bass comes in. You're like, is that again similar to the other song we played is, is the clicking on the upbeat, the downbeat, what's going on? Right. Um, and so I, there was a band you're in. Is it, I'm I i do not know if they're pronouncing it right, but the the Coromandels. Mendels, yeah. Choral Mendels, And I know, mm-hmm. on the the Late Bloomers Bloomers record, you recorded the drums on that one, right?
1: E, yeah, I think I rec- Let's see. I think I recorded all the drums on that. Yeah, we demoed, and then I think I recorded all the drums. Yeah.
0: Because there's a song called The Project that I really love the drums on that. I'll play it real quick all right and I'm curious yeah kind of breaking down the the vibe of the drums on that like how they were recorded
1: That one's in my, um, in my studio, and I have a, um, I believe that was one of the first times I was really trying this technique of putting a ribbon mic. So we have the studio, they were direct, recording the drums. It's a small room, but the ribbon room mic was outside of the room, in the hallway outside, but it was facing the ground, and it's on the second story of a building, and there are wood floors. Mm-hmm. And it was a face in the ground. And it was like two inches from the floor. And so it would get the the kick drum sound of the on the floor, and then it was capturing the room. And then the rest of it's just some overheads that are getting the room. I mean, it's obviously very roomy. I believe I didn't mix that, I, but I'm sure that we were trying to get that guitar reverb and the room and the snare reverb pretty matched you know Mm -hmm. um a little bit surfy i guess but but yeah i'm just hearing that back that that floor technique kind of worked it because it's a big room but it's just a old wood floor that you're that's reverberating so Mm
0: -hmm. um well for the sake of time i do want to go to a few honorable mentions because it was it it was a category that you just want to say they're overall playing and so Mm -hmm. uh sarah lund sarah lund from unwound yeah Mm -hmm. you said just her her groove style in
1: general yeah and and again going back to uh some of that that punk disco stuff she was one of the first people that i saw do it in a way that was not was like a little more laid back and just stuck more of a groove than say uh, this is no diss on anyone else who was doing it, including myself at the time. But um, the Rapture was kind of doing some things like that, and I forget the drummer's name. But he and I's style was like a little more aggressive, and Sarah just has this crazy laid-back version of it. That's just it. It's the groove. It's mm-hmm. it's amazing. And I I drum I did I drum tacked for her too. I roadied for them. That's why I got to watch her so many times.
0: And there's there's some sort of uh, tie-in with unwound and replicants, right?
1: Yeah, Justin, the singer, is the guitarist for replicants.
0: Okay, and then yeah. Cindy, Cindy Blackman, hers, her, the the feel of all
1: all of her solos. Yeah, I've been watching a lot of her solo solos lately, mm-hmm. and um, yeah, I'm not. I, I like solos. I I don't think about them that much, but I've been watching her solos so much. Yeah, um, and I'm just digging it.
0: Um, and then one more Annika Niles I think she says it's either Niles or Niles depending on where you're from she accepts both but yeah Annika Niles
1: okay Annika Niles yes Uh, and I've just found her on Instagram I'm assuming I can't remember how yeah her her technical version of a groove is something that's another thing I play with I try to play with her Instagram videos all the time. Mm-hmm. Or, Good luck, um, you know. <laughs> and uh, but it it it's teaches me a lot, you know. Shows me a lot of things I don't know, which doesn't bother me too much. But uh, yeah, I th- I love her playing. I want to see her play live with anyone. I, mm-hmm. It seems like she plays with pretty big. Sometimes pop bands it sounds it seems like, but um yeah, I just love her. Um, it's just not technical is not a bad word to me. Um. Mm-hmm but if it is for anyone watch her play cuz she's a fucking technical and groovy as fuck.
0: Yes she is man. Yeah. Um, so before we go cuz I do have to head out but talk talk a little bit or talk a lot a bit about <laughs> your your podcast tour stories cuz I do that's why I was intimidated today cuz you're a great conversationalist. I love your oh, I love I love the podcast. So do a little promo for that cuz I definitely want people to who obviously enjoy talking about music. You don't just have drummers on the show, um, so you obviously
1: expand. But uh, yeah, talk a little bit about the show. Yeah, so I started um, tour stories while I was in the middle of touring in 2018, I think. Maybe 2017. of uh, In the middle of touring a, a ton with Cold War Kids. And uh, I had gathered some stories and was editing, editing them on the road. And sharing them with my colleagues at ruinous media and we're like oh let's do a podcast uh it seems like it'll work and then chris and i one of the ruinous guys started editing them together and adding some music and brainstorming some ideas and it kind of took off dale crover was i believe dale crover was our no a drummer brian teasley was our first Mm, story Uh, and i think dale was our second and I, I was just, just out of the blue. I was like, I want to get these tour. My tour stories are funny and ridiculous, but it was always sticking with me like that. The motley crew, uh, cliche rock stories are fine. They're sometimes fun, but they're not really that important to me as the monotony of touring, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, and at the same time, I didn't want to get too insider baseball because it'd be like, oh, like insider jokes about backstages isn't going to be fun for people. Yeah. So somehow I arrived at gathering stories and I'm trying to edit. So they're largely for, for everyone. And they're long and they're short and they're dumb and quote unquote boring sometimes. But the boring ones are about being bored usually. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, and it's i'm on my 90th show or something and um i have parlayed pivoted if you will into a uh an interview format as well uh due to uh our involuntary rock and roll break (laughs) now i'm starting to kind of combine them and guests want to do both um so that's it that's tour stories slash the check-in but um yeah that's it and amongst the other podcasts we do at ruinous um, that's my gig
0: yeah I've tried to be less precious with I mean I I kind of put myself in a corner by calling this big fat five but mm-hmm. uh, there's so many different episodes and things I want to do that I'm like well it doesn't fit the podcast but yeah um, it's all a learning process
1: so it don't it, it ebbs and flows yeah I, but, and um, yeah with with pivoting to the check-in you know, every once in a while people are like, different show? I like, yeah, I don't fucking... Does it have to be? Like, not really. Yeah. And I have, um, in the springtime, I will have a new podcast with Dan Gallucci called Demo-itis. And we've done one episode with James Mercer. We are discussing Demo-itis, for people who don't know, it's the feeling you get when you can't achieve the initial demo or writing and recording of a song you're doing. So you go into the studio and you're like, fuck, the magic's gone. Mm. I have demo The demo sounds better. The thing on my phone sounds better. And we discussed that with James Mercer, and he played new slang demos for us, which is crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, but Dan and I are going to um, move forward and probably get six, for a season coming up in the spring of twenty two,
0: is it going to be kind of you? You play the voice notes kind of thing and just di- dissect the stems and. Um,
1: yeah, that's what we did with James and we the other interviews. We play little clips and when obviously when you can. I mean, there could be a story if you don't have the tapes um, mm. or the recordings also, but everything we've done thus far, we've had some recordings to reference, and um, again, James. James's new slang demos on a mini tape player uh, mm-hmm. are incredible. I'm sure. And really funny lyrics, you know, nonsense placeholders, sure. and it's just a. It's. I like listening to that episode. In fact. <laughs> yeah. And we're also, you know, wanting to, and typically winding up discussing the the environment surrounding it because that explains it a lot too. And we can get technical or we can get sort of social and, you know, talk about these things with people's lives at the time. And w- and the reason they recorded it in their kitchen was because their life was like this, you know. Mm. So it's it's really interesting.
0: Well, Joe, uh, thanks for being on the show, man. This was awesome. And I'm a big fan of your drumming. So appreciate you being on the show, dude. Thanks, man.
1: It was, it was really fun. I feel like I could talk for a long time. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But yeah, thanks a lot. And uh, I think you're traveling around the world, so travel safe. And that's the show. Be
0: sure to subscribe. And if you're listening on a platform that allows for ratings or reviews, do that. It helps more people find the show, which means the show will get better and bigger, and hopefully I'll have a chance to sell out one day. But you'd be an OG listener that could brag to all your friends. Um, anyways, also, why don't you go ahead and check out BigFatSnareDrum.com and follow us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and all the socials. Just search for at BigFatSnareDrum and you will find it. This show is edited in part using Isotope RX-8 audio editor.
1: It's amazing. So go check that out at iZotope.com. Bye.